Our New Testament reading is from Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 16, and it's page 1080 uh, from your Pew Bible. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The next New Testament reading will be from the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 31 to verses 34. Let us read Mark uh, 3. Verses 31 to 34 and page 925 in the Pew Bible. There came then his brethren and his mother, standing outside, sent to him, calling. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother? Who is my brethren? And he looked around about to those who sent him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Amen. Our last reading from the Gospel comes from a story that's disturbing to some of us. Jesus is approached by his mother with a message. And in response, he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Strikes us immediately as dismissive. It strikes us as discounting. It strikes us as a denial of a very certain kind of reality. It strikes us as harsh. But Jesus follows it up with an explanation because it's a teaching moment. He says, my mother and my brothers, my family, are those who do the will of him who sent me. That's interesting. The family is made up of people who do the will of the Father, the one who sent the Son. Jesus is taking a construct that we're very familiar with. Family. In fact, that's where our word familiar comes from. And expands it. He expands it in its conceptual basis to take in a wider sphere. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time today on the theological side of this because I've addressed it in various tangential ways and even directly in times past. And I think most of my sermons are archived on our website. (laughs) So I don't want to repeat myself too much. But we're going to look at a couple of ways through the text we've read today and others in which this expansion of family becomes significant to how we live and why it's important that we commit to one another and what we do. Jesus wasn't trying to say, I don't have a mother. Jesus wasn't trying 
to discount the family that had nurtured him through time, who had cared for him in all of its various ways. Jesus was trying to expand our idea about what family is. And that's what I hope to do a little bit today, as well as to look at things that go with family. This is a real Scrabble board. This is a real uh, set of tiles that we constructed on it. And those of you who are Scrabble freaks have already taken me to task on a couple of things. Thank you for that. That's fun to, uh, to do that with you. Probably the first thing a real Scrabble freak would know is that we're not starting on the very middle uh, tile there in the star. We're one off on that in order to fit everything in. Something else uh, I've already been taken to task with is the word Zoe at the top. Somebody said, oh, we get to use non-English words now. I pointed out that it was the root word for zoology, uh, but we'll, we'll see what the judge what the East German judge says about whether that gets to stay in or not. Zoe is the Greek word for life. So everything else should be very clear to you. You have family at the center and core here of this acrostic. Faith. I I don't need to spend a lot of time on that one, do I? To, To live in family, whether we're talking about a nuclear family or whether we're talking about a larger circle, requires faith. It requires faith in the good intention of one another. It requires faith that our basic needs will be met in our association one with another. It requires faith that a larger purpose is served by our association one with another. Certainly family involves love where it ought to. And I think if we want to talk about dysfunction sometimes, whether we're talking about families of origin, families of uh, uh, election or selection, or families of option, uh, like, like a church family, when you don't have love, you don't have faith, you certainly have high levels of dysfunction, don't you? Things aren't working Connected to love, I put vow, because part of family, as we understand it in the nuclear sense, certainly involves uh, that commitment, that promise that we make to one another, to be there for one another in sickness and health, in prosperity and poverty. Families exist in part at the bottom of that to promote wellness. You realize, I hope, that in general, family life, assuming functionality, not high dysfunctionality, promotes health and longevity. Did you know that? We actually live longer in social connection to one another. We have fewer diseases and fewer health problems. Connected to faith, we have hope. Hope is essential for the human condition. If prayer, energy, boy, that's an important one, isn't it? You know what I love about a full church? You're going to think, probably your first thought is my first thought. It's about ego, he just wants more people to speak to, it's more, uh, you know, feels better to have a bigger audience. 
I, I, I can't say that it doesn't feel better to have a fuller audience. There's a truth to that. But I'm going to tell you that it's energy. It's energy. I went to a concert at Walt Disney Concert Hall a couple weeks ago with my wife Jill. It was a renaissance program. And it was really unremarkable. That hall is so huge, it's so big in scope, that little renaissance groups need two things in order to survive there, let alone thrive there. They need a full house, <coughs> and they need to bring a ton of energy to the program. That's not always possible. It's not always possible. And certainly, without a full house that night, we felt a lack of energy. It takes energy for family to work, whether we're talking about family at home or family here. How about discipline? Two kinds of discipline, aren't there? The discipline that addresses those things that we're not doing in the way we're taught, the way we ought to, or that addresses uh, actions which uh, may be counterproductive or even immoral. But discipline also involves directing ourselves. I'm a, I'm a kind of free spirit. I'm not, a, I'm not a calendar guy. I was just bemoaning to my wife that I no longer have the luxury of winging my life. I'm committed to too many things. Okay? Now some of you are laughing because you gave that up 20, 30, 40 years ago. Good for you. I have never given that up. I've always wanted to wing my life. Now I have to, I, I'm going to have to really find a discipline I never had before. I'm going to have to like break everything down into really little units and fill each one of them to do the kind of stuff I'm committed to doing. You don't have to feel sorry for me. I feel sorry for myself. Discipline. Grace. Boy, what is a family if there isn't the grace of giving one another a break for, if nothing else, just being the people that they are? Grace. Support. Yes, I got to put a P in there. It was a blank. Isn't that nice? Scrabble provides me a couple of blanks, and that's so nice. How about unite or unity? Coming together. Certainly a family is work. <coughs> Hopefully we care for one another, we bear one another's burdens, as the scripture tells us to do. Estate. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Not only do we have our earthly possessions, which we pass along to the next generation, but we have an estate in the world to come. Edify. Now that's an interesting word. And right part of it is two very important, very important two-letter words. One is in. Why it's good to have an in. It is good to be in. I'm not talking about trending now. I'm not talking about popularity. I'm talking about belonging. In. Another really, really important word for functional family is no. Boundaries are essential, whether we're talking about personal or corporate. Of course, you have mom, dad, kids in there. 
But there's this word edify I want to take a minute with. Edify means to build up. We've talked about that word before. It's the same root word as edifice or monument or the front structure of a building, that which you see, that which structurally supports or holds in most cases. Edify is to build up. Happens to be a valuable word there with two fours and uh, yeah, it's eight, and that's not counting the uh, triple letter score there for the Y. It's a pretty big word. That was by design too, just in case you were wondering, Scrabble Freaks. Edify. What do we bring? What are we doing to build up? Well, let's take a look at a couple of the texts we were working from as we read earlier. Let's start with, since we started with the gospel already in Mark, let's go to Galatians 6, 7 to 10. The subtitle of the chapter is Doing Good to All. Something appropriate about that. And I'm going to start in verse, actually, I'm going to start there in one. Brothers and sisters, that's family, isn't it? Is Paul addressing family? I can't hear you. Are you asleep? Are you tired? I am a little, so it's okay if you are. It's Saturday, end of the week. It's almost lunchtime. But please note on your bulletin, we don't get out till 12.15. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Okay, it did not say give them the right foot of fellowship. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. In helping out your brother or your sister, make sure you don't get sucked in. That's what Paul is saying. Carry each other's burdens. I think that was in the acrostic. Bear? Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You want to be perfect? I do. Doesn't Jesus say, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect? Have you heard that text? Amen. Amen. Yes. What is this perfection that we're talking about there? Completeness in Christ. Yeah. But if we, if we want to understand that perfection from this text, what would it look like? Carrying. Carrying each other's burdens. Didn't I say a week or two ago that love, actually I didn't say it, it was in 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians, anyway, I can't remember where it was, it was love covers a multitude of sins. You can help me with the reference, I don't always have a great referential mind. Love covers a multitude of sins. So if we carry one another burdens and love covers a multitude of sins, we fulfill the law of Christ. That's pretty good, isn't it? When we carry one another's burdens, when we love as Christ loved, we are fulfilling his law. And now I need to take a little time out on that. John 13, 34 says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. 
That commandment came at the end of John's version, John's telling of the Last Supper. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, which is something we don't find in Matthew or Luke or John. Oh, I mean Mark. Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's only in John 13. Thank you. A couple weeks ago, we had a communion without foot washing. And a couple of you have said to me, why did we not do a foot washing? We're supposed to do a foot washing. Well, I, I wanted to let you know a couple of things. First, we're not done with foot washing here. Our next foot washing is Thursday evening, April 21, which is known as Maundy Thursday. It's in Holy Week. Maundy Thursday, the word Maundy comes from the Latin mandatus, from which we get the English word mandate. And mandate is the same as command. And it refers to that text in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, that you love one another. Right? Are you with me? Yeah. Good. So part of why no foot washing two weeks ago I'm not going to give every answer, but part of why was to see if we could find a way to re-emphasize and recapture, to heighten our awareness of this thing we do in somewhat rote fashion. A couple things have come to mind that I would like to see us think about as we approach Maundy Thursday. First of all, Set your calendar. Make a priority to be there for that foot washing. It's interesting that if we don't have a foot washing for you and you're here, it bothers you. If you miss a Sabbath when there's no foot washing, you have no need to make it up. Is that true? It's true. If it's important, there will be more than 24 people at Maundy Thursday to have their feet washed because you will have said, this is a priority for me. This is something I believe in. And not because if I don't do it, I'm doing something wrong, but because I want to fulfill the command that Jesus gave me, that I love one another. A couple of other things that come to mind. Foot washing is usually one person setting up a couple of rooms and one or two people cleaning up after everybody. Now that fits, that's what Jesus did. None of the disciples were willing to help out. So he took off his clothes and girded himself with a towel and washed everybody's feet. But it would be so much more wonderful if we could each approach with the attitude of service and servanthood. We do foot washing in a unique way. Well, it's not so unique anymore, most churches do. We have a men's room, we have a woman's room. And we have a family room. The challenge that faces you is that for most of you who participate, family room is the room of choice. And yet now you've taken a concept of family which has expansive value and you've narrowed it down to a nuclear family. My wife 
has seen me in all kinds of states of repair. <laughs> Washing my feet is not particularly challenging for her or me for washing her feet. Nor is it particularly humbling, nor is it particularly expansive. I love to do it on occasion as a loving act to my spouse and to receive and to have that fellowship in Christ together as a family because I'm always engaged in service and she's so often engaged in service that to be able to be together in an act of service is meaningful. And I know that's true for all of you too. But I want to challenge you who frequent the family room to pick a stranger and call him or her family to wash that person's feet and pray for that person and expand your definition of what it means to be family and what it means to humble yourself. The core of foot washing is not a service in which we have a mini-baptism, although that's part of the theology. The core of foot washing is not what we receive. The core of foot washing is servitude. It is Jesus unrobing and putting on a towel and washing those who were not his equals in status, were not his equal in rank, were not his equal in power. It's about embracing the powerless. Bill Moyers, in his series Now, interviews people in a remarkable way. Paul Woodruff, professor at University of Texas, was interviewed on the subject of reverence. And I'm going to preach on this one day because it's so fascinating what he has to say. He talks about reverence as a lost virtue. His book title is Reclaiming the Lost Virtue, Reverence, or something to this effect. Very, very interesting guy. And he talks about reverence in terms of what we hold sacred and how its primary action is not toward God, but toward one another. We experience reverence in connection with awe, in connection with anything that we did not create, anything that comes to us in a transcendent way, beyond ourselves. But since we did not create one another, he says, reverence is what keeps us from doing the most terrible of things. It's part of body health. When we desecrate a body, we are taking advantage and doing savagery to the most vulnerable. A body can't fight back. A body can't do anything. So it is in our acts toward the most vulnerable, the way in which we think of and act toward the most vulnerable in our society, the weakest in society, that we express reverence. I would like to extend that two places this afternoon. I would like to extend that to the concept of communion we were just talking about, a reverence, extending ourselves to people who may be higher rank, higher social order, lower rank, lower social order. We don't usually think that way in the body of Christ. 
But we have the rich and the poor among us. We have the educated and the less educated among us. We have those who have a great deal and those who don't have much. And I would like to extend it to the notion of family. Almost every violent act that's committed within the nuclear family is a serious abrogation of reverence. Sexual abuse of a child, terrible violation of reverence. When a husband strikes a wife, terrible violation of reverence. Body life depends on these things. So I want to say, in, in just, just before we totally leave the subject and keep moving on, that foot washing is not dead. Communion is not dead. I did take a little break to see whether we would miss it and what we might do to revive it and revitalize it as it becomes symbolic of something greater in the family here at Santa Clarita. Coming back to our text. When you do nothing, when you, okay, excuse me, if any of you think you are something when you are nothing, you deceive yourself. Each of you should test your own actions, then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to anybody else. For each of you should carry your own load. Just said carry one another's burdens, right? But we each need to carry our own load in carrying one another's burdens. And we'll talk more about that later this year. Nevertheless, those of you who receive instruction in the word should all share good things with their instructor. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. People reap what they sow. Those who sow to please themselves and their sinful natures from that nature will reap destruction. Those who sow to plead the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. And then it says this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those belonging to the family of believers. Yes, it's okay to make that prioritization. It's okay to have that understanding. It's biblical indeed. And then let's uh, skip over... uh, just shortly to Ephesians. Ephesians 3. I'm out of time and I I want to preach a whole sermon on Ephesians 3, but I'm going to pick up the verses that we highlighted. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you through power, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep, the dimensionality of the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now this doxology. 
to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. There is something important and obvious about family. Immediate family and extended family. And by further extension, church family. There is all sorts of dimensionality to that. But in the way in which we love and serve, the way in which we belong and carry one another's burdens, the way in which we encourage and exhort, the way in which we learn together and grow together, the way in which we're called corporately to minister and serve one another first, yes, but the community and the kingdom at large. The way in which it starts in this nucleus and moves outward. This is all part of the plan and will of God. If we had time in Ephesians 3 today, we would see that Paul is concerned with the final mystery, the way in which God has declared the unity, the oneness of Jew and Gentile, that there is now no distinction inside, outside, or the old inside, outside. This year, I want this church to consider that dimensionality, to continue to draw the circle wider, to continue to declare many more brothers. There's a wonderful interview with a woman, and I'm going to slaughter her name, Arundhata Roy. Bill Moyers does this interview now as well. She's an activist. But she says something very beautiful in the interview. She talks about India and Pakistan, and she says, I don't like to think in terms of nationalism. You don't like to think. I'm not a nationalist. I don't like to think in terms of borders. I'm not a patriot. I like to think in terms of civilization. And when I go across the border to Pakistan, I eat the same food, I hear the same jokes, I see the same people, and yet we're pointing nuclear weapons at one another. I want the world to be a place where people address others as <coughs> with the dignity and the grace of <coughs> That is the gospel in great part. That God has declared us good with Him. That we declare ourselves good with one another. And that together we cease hostilities and march toward the kingdom of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.